John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. <clears throat> Erica told me I'm not allowed to say anything about the A&M game, so I'm not. But I could, but I'm not. Uh like, I, uh, like Jeff said, we are in the series on prayer right now. If you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're going to be in Psalm 13 today, and then we're also going to be in Matthew 22. If you have one of those fancy Bibles that has that little tab, you could put one on Psalm 13 and one on Matthew 22. We're going to be flipping back and forth between those two texts. Uh, next week is our last week on prayer as we look at this uh, model uh, by Pete Gregg based on his book, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. It's one of my favorite books on prayer. If you haven't bought it yet, near the end of the series, it's not too late. You can get it and read it. We are on chapter 7 this week looking at unanswered prayer. And if you're looking for a way to pray together, uh, we do meet in the prayer chapel every Wednesday at 7 a.m. to pray together if you're looking for a community to learn how to grow in prayer. But in his book, Pete uh, lays out this prayer method uh, using the acronym PRAY, P-R-A-Y. And the first week we looked at, before we step into prayer, we need to first pause and be still in the presence of God, kind of like Jeff was talking about in his children's sermon, uh, to get rid of the noise, to get rid of the distractions, to pause our soul and still our hearts before God. And then after we pause, we are rejoice. We spend time reminding ourselves of who is this God that we are praying to. We rejoice in the things that he has done in our lives, and we rejoice and remember his character and how that informs our ask because we remind ourselves who is this God that we pray to. And then A, ask. We spend time asking for ourselves, which is prayers of petition, giving our lists over to the Lord, and how we do that from a place of trust. And then after uh, petitions was intercession, which is what we talked about last week of praying on behalf of others. And so this week, we're looking at uh, what happens when we bring our list to God and the answer to prayer is no. The, the hard part of unanswered prayer. Pete Gregg wrote a whole book on unanswered prayer. If you're really struggling with that, I would highly recommend reading his book. It's called God on Mute. He wrote a whole book on this idea. And Pete, in his chapter on unanswered prayer in his book, he says that sometimes prayer can deeply disappoint us. Prayer can sometimes disappoint us deeply. If you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've come across this reality that, you know, God's not a divine vending machine, that prayer is not this sort of automatic formula that you put in enough prayers or you say the right words and then you get the goodies dispensed that you want. Maybe you've been in a period of your life where you've prayed for something for a while, you've prayed earnestly for a season and the answer is no 
And last week, I'm sure you've had this thought, that as we're talking about uh, prayers of petition and prayers of intercession, and I've been sharing a bunch of stories of God miraculously answering prayers, that when you hear stories like this, in the back of your mind, there's a sort of, yeah, but what if it doesn't happen in my own life? Or, yeah, but I can remember this time when I prayed like that and nothing happened. There's that sort of, yeah, but that informs our prayer. I remember as I was in seminary in my theology of healing class, uh, my professor said that the hardest part of healing ministry, he says, is the mystery of God in healing ministry. He said, you know, you'll pray earnestly for someone to get healed, and the Lord will answer the prayer for that person, and then you'll pray the similar or exact same prayer for someone else, and the answer will be no. He said the mystery of healing prayer is the hardest part of healing ministry. For example, last week I shared about praying for someone who was miraculously healed of a staph infection uh, when I prayed over him in the hospital. And I've prayed over people for physical healings a lot in my time in ministry. And that was the only time that I prayed for someone to be healed and they were miraculously healed like that in that fashion. So why did God say yes to that person and no to the other people that I prayed about? It's this mystery of unanswered prayer, right? And I'm sure as I'm sharing stories about myself that you're thinking of your own moments of unanswered prayer, the, the moments in which you earnestly pleaded before God to do something and it seems like you just heard nothing on the other end. Before we dive into unanswered prayer, I do want to say one word, is that not everything that we deem is an unanswered prayer is in fact an unanswered prayer. Uh, not every prayer that go unanswered is a no, sometimes it's a not yet. I think too quickly we give up on prayer, that we automatically assume that the answer is no, when in fact the Lord is just telling us to keep coming to Him in prayer before the answer is yes. Like the example I shared last week of Monica praying for her son to become a Christian, that that was a period of 17 years that she prayed for her son, that the answer wasn't a no, it was a not yet for Monica to continue to travail in prayer. And that was something also uh, I learned in seminary that my healing professor talked about. As he said, in the American church, we have this really bad habit of giving up on prayer, assuming the answer is no. He said, too quickly we assume the answer is no when God is really just saying not yet. And so his advice to us, and I think this is good advice for all of us, is that to keep praying about something until God gives us a very clear answer that it is no. And he said the example, or the example in my own life is uh, like, you know, Paul has that thorn and, you know, there's Paul in Corinthians says, this is the thorn in my flesh, right? Uh, too quickly we give up on praying for things and we just assume that this is a thorn in our flesh. And my healing professor said, don't do that unless God tells you it's the thorn in your flesh. And with my own life, with my own anxiety, I know 
I gave up on praying for my anxiety because I felt like God wasn't going to answer that prayer. And it wasn't until seminary that God challenged me and he said, hey, why have you stopped praying about this? Why have you stopped asking for healing about this? That I haven't told you to stop praying about that. I think that that's something that we need to not do is not give up on prayer and just assume that the answer is no. Then there are other times in our life when it's kind of clear the answer is no, right? We pray for a relationship to get healed and it just doesn't. We pray for marriages, we pray for healings and those don't happen. So I don't want to talk today about why prayers aren't answered today. Pastor Rick uh, gave a great sermon last week if you want to go back and listen to his message in the traditional service about why sometimes prayers aren't answered. I don't want to dive into that today. I want to deal with how do we in our faith deal with when prayers aren't answered? How do we wrestle with that with God when our prayers aren't answered? How do we navigate that in our faith? Uh, Pete Gregg in a book talks about how there was a time that he was uh, ministering to a church, and the church had um, the pastor's wife was diagnosed with cancer, and how she spent this whole the the church spent this whole time praying for her. Uh, they gave sermons about her. They they fasted for her. They held these large prayer meetings for her. They gave words of prophecy about her, and they just spent all this time praying for her to be healed of cancer, and she passed away. And Pete is growing and preaching at this church, and he's talking to them about prayer and talking to them about, you know, the miraculous answers that God does in prayer. And he said that as he was teaching them about prayer, he said he got this, like, very, like, wall that the congregation put up. And he found out later about that story, and he said, yeah, no wonder they didn't want to hear my sermon about God answering prayer, because they had just experienced God not answering prayer. And God not answering prayer leaves us with a deep sense of disappointment about God. And until we deal with that disappointment, we can't really move on in our faith. Unanswered prayer, I think, is one of the main things that can shake our faith and shake our belief in God. It makes us question what we believe, and so how do we navigate that period in our life? So like I said, we're looking at Psalm 13 and, or, sorry, not Matthew 22, Luke 22. I led you astray, and I apologize. We're going to be reading these two psalms in this passage in Matthew. We'll start off with the psalm in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemies will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Does that psalm sound like a person whose life is going well? Sounds like the psalm of a person whose prayer is going well unanswered. 
in the psalm book, we, we call these psalms of lament, and there's many throughout the book of psalms. It's people pouring out their heart to the Lord where they're in this in-between space between them asking God for prayer and it not coming to pass, and they're wrestling with how do I deal with the Lord in this in-between season of my life. It's something that I feel like we've lost in the church. How do we lament well? How do we grieve well? How do we deal with our disappointment in God that we have these expectations of him and then it seems like he doesn't come through? And this psalm of lament, I think, expresses what our soul feels like when we have our prayers go unanswered. He feels forgotten by God. He feels unheard by God. He feels abandoned by God. He's living in darkness. He's defeated and overcome by his enemies. That This is the soul of someone who is wrestling with this idea that God has not answered his prayer. The reality of the Christian life is unanswered prayer is not an if, but rather a when. And we know that because even Jesus had a prayer go unanswered. Even Jesus. If we... Uh, if anyone would have prayers not go answered, or if anyone would have every single one of their prayers answered, it would be Jesus, right? Well, the Gospels tell us that there's a prayer that Jesus prayed that did not go answered, and we're looking at Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. 22, 39 through 46. And then Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives and had his disciples follow him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose and went back to his disciples, he found them exhausted, asleep, asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. And as we know from the rest of the story, that Jesus is not delivered from the trial that was before him. That he submits to the cross, submits to crucifixion for us and for our salvation. But here in this prayer and here in this psalm, you see Jesus just anguishing in prayer. It says that he, he anguished all the more and then he prayed all the more earnestly. That This is sort of this heart-wrenching prayer. Father, I don't want to do this, Jesus says. And that prayer goes unanswered, even Jesus himself. And he's praying so earnestly, it says, that he is dropping uh, that blood is dripping down from his place and it's this medical uh, real medical diagnosis where you're in such stress such anxiety that the capillaries in your forehead burst and go out of your sweat ducts that that's how earnestly Jesus was praying that's how stressed and anxious Jesus was in this time of prayer and if earnestness meant that God would answer prayers all the more, then this is one of the most earnest prayers in all of Scripture, and God still said no. And so what are some of the lessons that we can see in the prayer of Jesus and in this psalm about how we can navigate when our prayers go unanswered? The first is this, so when our prayers go unanswered, we hold on to others. We hold on to others. Look at the gospel 
and what Jesus does. In his gospel, it says that he took his disciples with him to the Garden of Gethsemane for prayer. Matthew's gospel then goes into a bit more detail that not only does he bring the twelve to the garden, but in his intimate time of prayer, he brings Peter, James, and John with him as well. That when Jesus was in his time of most desperation, when he was in his moment of deepest need, he brings his friends with him. When Jesus was at his lowest point, his moment of great anguish and sorrow, he wanted his friends to be there with him. And then temptation comes when our prayers go unanswered. When we feel this anger, this disappointment is to isolate ourselves from one another. We have this temptation that when when things don't go our way or when we have this deep sense of hurt or wounded because of an unanswered prayer is to draw back from others. And Jesus does the exact opposite. He brings his friends close to him. He brings his friends close to him in his time of great distress. He made space for community because the Lord made us for one another. When we think about when we have these heartaches in our lives, when we have these unanswered prayers in our lives, the temptation is to come here on Sunday morning, put on a happy face, pretend like everything is well on the outside when inwardly we are just dying on the inside. And Jesus doesn't do that. He lets his friends come and see him in his great anguish and distress. He lets his friends see his unanswered prayer. The only reason we are able to record this in the gospel is because Jesus let his friends see it. And we're meant to let people in in our moment of heartache, not keep them out. There's this moment <clears throat> in my own life in college uh, when my life kind of fell apart. You know, you ever have those life fall apart moments like they're not very enjoyable. And so everything in my life was kind of falling apart. This period of, of suffering and great anguish, this period of time when my prayers were going unanswered, and there's sort of a big catalyst event in that, uh, that moment. And I went to church the Sunday after kind of all this had happened. And uh, in undergrad, I went to an Assemblies of God church. And if you know anything about Pentecostals, they love responses. Uh, and like a good Pentecostal, I love responses as well. And so <clears throat> at the end of every single service, they would have the uh, altar open for a time of prayer. And what he would do is he would say, if anyone's in need of prayer, he'd have all of us close our eyes. He'd say, if you need prayer, raise your hand right now. And so I remember I was in the service and I was like, well, if there's any time that someone needs prayer... I think it's me right now. And so I remember I was sitting there in the pew with my friends, and he had done something different that Sunday. Usually he would just invite people up to the front row, but this time he said, what I want you to do is raise your hand and then step out into the pew and, or step out in the aisle, and we'll have people come and surround you and pray for you. And so I stepped out into the middle aisle, and the next thing that I remember is all my friends had followed me into the middle aisle. And all of them laid their hands on me and prayed for me. And I just remember in the middle of that service just kind of having a breakdown and just kind of weeping in the middle of church while all my friends and church family surrounded me in prayer. You know, we go through those times and trials in our lives. The hope is that the church is the place that you run to, not the place that you run from. <clears throat> I remember there's been stories people have told me that they'll have a a traumatic moment in their life or a, a moment of deep grief or sorrow 
and then they'll they'll stay away from church for a few weeks until they can kind of get things settled and then they'll come back to church. My hope is that when we have those moments of great distress, those moments of great heartache, church is the place that we run to, not run from. So that's what Jesus does as he runs to his friends. Hold on to others in the middle of unanswered prayer. Second thing Jesus does is he holds on to the love of God. He holds on to God's love. <clears throat> Jesus anchors himself to the Father. Notice how Jesus starts out his prayer in verse 42. He starts off by saying, Father. He starts it off by saying, Father. My Father. My Father. That before he asks the Lord this prayer, he reminds himself of how he is beloved by God. One of my favorite quotes is by Charles Spurgeon, who says, when we cannot trace his hand, we can trust his heart. When we can't trace his hand, we can trust his heart. When we don't know what God is doing or why he's doing things or why he's not letting this happen or why he's allowing these things to happen, we don't know the reasons why we can trust his heart behind it. And I think this is the hardest part of the Christian faith when prayers go unanswered. It is the thing that we tend to do the most is, tr is doubt the heart of God, doubt the love of God, doubt the care of God, that when we have this deep disappointment in our lives that we think, if I care for this, shouldn't God care as much as I do? And we really question these things, that we doubt that does God really love us, does God really care for us? And the temptation in the middle of unanswered prayer is to pull back from God, to pull back from the arms of the Father. And I would argue that, in fact, this is the hardest part of unanswered prayer, to not let our circumstances dictate what we know to be true about God. That Jesus, when he prays, that Jesus, in his moment of great distress, Jesus, when I think he knows that the Lord is not going to answer this prayer, nevertheless grounds himself in the goodness and the love of God by saying, My Father. In the psalm, we see that at the end of Psalm 13, the psalmist concludes by saying, and yet, despite all the circumstances going on, despite all that I find myself in, despite all the unanswered prayer that I seem to have going on in my life, it says in verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. That the circumstances that the psalmist found himself in could not shake what he knew to be true about the heart of God. And this is, like I said, one of the hardest things to do. But I think it's also the most important thing to hold on to. That God does love us. God does care for us. And that we're not going to get all the answers. But in the middle of our darkness, we can trust that God loves us and that God does care for us. And that he will demonstrate it and that he will prove himself to be true. The other thing that we hold on to in the middle of unanswered prayer is holding on to God's power. Holding on to God's power. Looking back at Jesus' prayer, he says, My Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. My Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. 
And then in Matthew's gospel, he also prays, Lord, I know that everything is possible for you. That Jesus grounds himself in the power of God. And I think, like I said, Jesus prays his prayer knowing that God is not going to answer it, and yet he still puts his trust and hope in the power of God. That in this time and trial of Jesus, he still, hold, he still holds on to the reality of who God is and in his power. The temptation, I think, comes in our life when we have prayer go unanswered is to diminish the power of God in our lives. We maybe not do that theologically or in our mind, but I think we do that often in our heart. We diminish the power of God in our daily life. We diminish the power of God in the way that we pray and the way that we live out our faith. In other words, we begin to expect less of God when our prayers go unanswered. It's a way to protect ourselves from disappointment, right? If I, if I don't have high expectations of God, then I can't be disappointed. There's this joke <clears throat> that often in working circles that I hear that if you, uh, if you keep your expectations low, then it's easy to exceed them, right? That if I don't work that hard, that the day that I do work hard, everyone's very impressed. But if I work hard all the time, that the one day that I'm off, then I'm really disappointing someone. And I think we may unconsciously do that with God when it comes to unanswered prayer, that we just lower our expectations of God because we don't want to get our heart hurt. We don't want to get disappointed again. That we lower what we believe God can do and what God wants to do in our lives. But Jesus, Jesus in his time of great desperation, Jesus in his time of unanswered prayer, holds on to the power of God. He holds on to the power of God. Even the psalmist holds on to the power of God. At the end of the psalm, he trusts that God can change his circumstances, that God can do something new in his life, that he holds on to God's power in the middle of all this. You know, in my disappointment with God, with him not healing my anxiety, right, I had prayed for a while and God told, or not God told me, but I thought that God had said uh, that I'm not going to heal you, and it led to further disappointment. And what I did is I had made God smaller in my mind, that if God didn't want to deal with this anguish in my soul, then it kind of made my God smaller, that he doesn't want to deal with this or doesn't want to deal with that. And I had put God in this box. And I found that I had begun to deal with God as this caricature and not the person that I found himself to be revealed in Scripture. The temptation for us is to put God in boxes and to limit his power and scope now just challenge us in the middle of our disappointment to not do that, to in fact press deeper into what we know God can do in our lives. And then the last thing that we can learn from Jesus when our prayers go unanswered is to be honest with God. Be honest with God. Look at how Jesus prays in Gethsemane, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And then it says that he earnestly prayed so much they dropped sweats of blood. That you can see that Jesus is honest with the Lord. That this, the thing that he got sent on this earth to do, he prays, Father, I don't want to do this. 
If that's not honesty, I don't know what is. When we look at the psalm, he is crying out in anguish, saying, Lord, it seems like you haven't rescued me yet. Lord, these are all the things going on in my life. Lord, you haven't done anything in my life yet. Then in the middle of our unanswered prayers, in the middle of our deep hurt and disappointment, the worst thing that we can do, the worst thing that we can do is to bury it deep within ourselves. That if we truly want to uh, deepen our relationship with the Lord, if we want to get over these disappointments, then we have to express those disappointments to God. We have to express that anger that we feel towards God. That's the heart of lament that we see all throughout the Psalms, is that God invites his people to pray those real, honest prayers with him. And what I love about Psalm 13 is he doesn't start off by trusting in the Lord. That's how he ends, but it's not how he starts. He starts off by venting to the Lord. He starts off by expressing his disappointment with God. He starts off by expressing his anger with God, and it is only after he has done that, then does he say, Lord, I will trust you anyways. Jesus himself on the cross prays this in Gethsemane and then on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's this invitation to honesty with God, especially in the middle of our disappointment when prayers go unanswered. I think that we sometimes neglect telling God what we think about it. That we think it's unholy of us or impious of us to tell God that we're angry with him or upset with him or disappointed with him, but we see here in the Psalms that the Lord gives us permission to do so. We see in the example of Jesus that the Lord gives us permission to do so, that God can handle all of our emotions because he created our emotions. I remember there was a time in my life about a month ago that I had been bottling this hurt that I had gotten inside of me, and I wasn't expressing to the Lord what I had felt about this hurt. I hadn't been expressing to God the anger that I felt with him or the frustration that I had with him, and then it just kind of reached this boiling point in my life when I just kind of let it all out. You know, sometimes you let things build up and build up, and it just explodes, and it was this moment when I was just praying to the Lord all this hurt and anger and disappointment that I felt and it was just this like release within my soul that I had been bottling and keeping all this anger within me and not giving it to Jesus where it belonged and there was this relief that I felt in my soul when I had given these disappointments and hurts and angers to Jesus where they needed to go I'd like to invite the band back up you know, I feel like I've barely touched on this. You could do a whole sermon series <clears throat> about this. Pete Gregg wrote a whole book on unanswered prayer. I know this is a hard issue. I know these are issues that can kill a faith. My challenge for anyone who's struggling with this right now, who's struggling with disappointment, hurt, and anger in God, is to just not let go. To just hold on even if you're angry holding on, even if you're disappointed in holding on, my challenge is just don't let go. Don't let go of God. I'll close with this story. <clears throat> my theology of healing class, they brought in a person who had been healed from multiple personality disorder. 
which if you know anything about that is very rare to happen. And it was this multi-year journey, I think it was over 13 years, of this period from the personalities coming out to where he was fully healed once more. And he shared his story. Him and his wife came and shared the story of that journey of healing that they went on. <clears throat> and I remember there was this moment about halfway through their healing journey, his wife is sharing that she was just so frustrated and exhausted. She was angry with God that her husband wasn't healed yet. She was angry with God that this had been taking so long and that it seemed like every time there was a breakthrough, there would be another setback. And she was just angry that God hadn't just sort of snapped his fingers and healed her husband yet. And she said there was this one moment where she was about to give up on God. And she was just kind of angry praying to God. Have you ever done that? Angry prayed to God. And she was just kind of venting all of her anger and frustration to the Lord. And she said that she said some uh, uh, PG-13 words uh, to God. And she told him how she felt and just expressed deep within her soul how she really felt. And then the next day, she said that she went to a prayer appointment that her and her husband had had. Uh, for this person who is gift in, gifted in prophecy. And uh, <clears throat> when they start off the session, the, the person leading it turns to her and say, I think actually uh, God wants us to pray for you today and not your husband. And the first thing that the, the prayer warrior says to her is, I don't know if this means anything to you or not, but the Lord wanted me to tell you, uh, thank you for your colorful language the other day. And then she also said, the Lord also wants me to tell you that he sees you. And I think that's the thing that we can take away in our answered prayer, is that God sees us. And she said in that moment, all of her anger and frustration and disappointment kind of melted away because she had known that God had seen her. God had seen her disappointment. God had seen her suffering. In the book of Job, the, the story on suffering, what Job really wanted was for God to see him and God to be there with him. In our unanswered prayer, know that God still sees us. God is with us. God holds on to us, and we can hold on to him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening with us. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.